Hi, good afternoon, Leo. Hey, Eric. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. Yeah, happy to be here. We have a comparatively big event in March. It seems like Apple is really jumping into the whole services space. They want to put out a premiere Apple News service. Hmm, what does that mean? They are trying to work on a deal with different newspapers and publishers and have a paid service for premiere news content. So we'll see how that goes. And then probably this is when they're going to reveal their competitor to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. So it seems like a lot of stuff in the service space that we've been talking about in the last couple episodes is coming to fruition here in March. But also there's a lot of talk about perhaps some new iPads this March, not the pro level iPads, but more of the <laughs> you almost have to specify a non-pro iPad. Like consumer grade? or Yeah, exactly. Uh, a 2019 iPad. So a few years ago, they debuted the iPad Pro at a big event. And then they, before that was the iPad Air, iPad Air 2. And then they came out in 2017 with a new iPad, no name. And it had no event, nothing to it. And that was kind of an upgrade from the iPad Air, but it didn't have some of the features of the iPad Air 2. And then in 2018, last year, they had the event in Chicago at the school kind of targeting education. And that's when they premiered the 2018 iPad, which is an upgrade from the 2017 iPad. And that had support for the Apple Pencil for the first time uh, on a standard consumer iPad. And so this year, we're probably going to look at a 2019 iPad. And there's a lot of rumors, too, that the iPad mini is coming out uh, retirement more or less, since it hasn't been upgraded in a few years. We've kind of seen this journey since the beginning of the iPad of going from just being a simple consumer device to Apple trying to push it more and more into the business and professional space. And I want to to specifically talk today about where that is and where it is in that journey as far as the status of business and professional apps on the iPad. So what do you mean by business apps? There's a business apps and professional apps. Some business apps are professional apps and some professional apps, in my opinion, are business apps but they're not necessarily related. So when I think of a business app, I think of kind of your heavy hitter enterprise type app that you might use for not necessarily creative purposes. So email, accounting. Something to write letters. Yeah, something more robust. And presentations. Exactly. When I say professional app, I think I'm mostly saying for creatives. Uh, for instance, what we're doing now, recording a podcast, making videos, doing software development, doing music editing, doing creating music, things like that. So that's kind of what I mean when I say business and professional. In other words, heavy hitters, creation centered apps, even in the business case, but not just simply consumer type apps such as like social media stuff, video. And it seems like business apps would generally be a little bit lighter, whereas professional apps, at least the ones that you described, graphics, recording podcasts, doing any kind of digital editing, obviously compiling code. A lot of that seems like it would be pretty intensive and need a lot of power from an iPad. Yeah, that would be the case. For instance, the iPad Pro that came out this fall is a pretty darn powerful device from the October event. 
as far as being able to kind of the heavy duty graphics stuff, which is super intensive. If you look at some of the bench scores, the iPad is consistently outscoring some of the laptops that are out there. So it's certainly not a weak device, but as far as how much traction it's reached right now in March of 2019, it seems like it's not quite there And I don't necessarily want to say it is the processor. I think that we can certainly make the case that the processor is definitely one of the cutting edge pieces of hardware on the iPad. But today we're going to kind of expand on what those limitations are and talk about why the iPad just hasn't reached that point yet, both in business and enterprise, but also in the professional procreative market, so to speak. Yeah, and I can see that. It would take a long, long time to eventually make that shift to where using iPads for work purposes is not atypical. At least I remember that happening with laptops. I mean, for a while, there were a select few like sales and other people who traveled regularly who really didn't have a choice. They needed a laptop to carry with them. And so they couldn't lug a desktop computer around. But professionals doing graphic design, coding, and other kinds of things didn't really have a need. However, now I see way more people, even who have just desk jobs, who work nine to five, who are using laptops, even though they don't need as much mobility, they have it because laptops are just that much more powerful. So like I see... You know, it could it could be a slow transition. Yeah, that's a really good point. A couple of episodes ago on the Apple 2019 episode, we talked about the maturity of the smartphone and iPads are almost not there yet. They're kind of in this awkward position of more portable than a laptop. But what does it offer that the laptop doesn't have? And that's like the real question that's going to make it more attractive than a laptop. I mean, that's the question I think people ask themselves. If I already have a laptop, why am I getting an iPad too? When I could do everything on a laptop. Mm-hmm. And how does it fit in that space? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. And so we might just be at the beginning of this transition. Yeah. It seems like we're still at the beginning of this transition. Before we get into the limitations of the iPad, maybe we can get into more of what makes the iPad a better device for business and professional use than laptop. So I will just tell you kind of my journey. So I got an iPad as a work gift, the iPad 2. So that would have been 2012, 2013. Uh, And I liked it. It's, It's a good device. But I would say majority of my use for it was mostly consumption. So browsing, uh, watching Netflix, watching YouTube, playing games. The iPad is actually a good device for that. But as far as like professional use, I I really didn't find a reason to use it for creating things, so to speak. It just is not easy for me to necessarily type on. Though it's improved, it's not really a great experience in a lot a lot of cases. I ended up selling that and I moved to an iPad mini, which was really nice for reading books. But as we've talked about in a lot of other cases, it can be a distraction. It just ended up getting way too slow. Sold that, got a Kindle. And then when the 2017 iPad came out, I bought that. And I mean this in a good way. It's a really cheap device. It is probably one of Apple's most um, value-oriented devices in the sense that you get the most bang for your buck. I think you can get an iPad for like 350 which is pretty reasonable. And they're almost positioned in a sense of filling that kind of cheap laptop 
I want to say netbook space in a lot of ways. I really liked it. I started using it for doing email, for writing blog posts, for taking notes. I brought it to a conference a couple of years ago and I used my old Apple keyboard, hooked it up and it was a really great experience. My only complaint was that this display was too small. That was my only complaint. So I kind of went searching for the bigger iPad when the iPad Pro came out, the big 12 inch one. Wanted just a bigger display. That's really the only reason I wanted the iPad Pro. And then I ended up finding one really cheap at a pawn store, right? Like whoever think you'd find an iPad Pro at a pawn store, but right. it worked out. It was super cheap and bought that. And I absolutely love it when it comes to a majority of the non-coding, non-video, non podcast editing work that I do. Compared to my laptop, I would say it's just a lot easier to focus on that kind of work on the iPad than it is on the laptop. And I'm trying very hard and continually moving away from using my laptop at all to the point where I either use my iMac or I use my iPad Pro for my creative work. That's quite the transition. And so it sounds like when you got your first iPad, you weren't necessarily intending to use it for business purposes, but it sounds like maybe you had tried the first iPad. No, I tried very little. Like I might've checked my email on occasion, but this was before I was ever self-employed. So there's just no reason for me to use the iPad for anything more than, than enjoyment. Mm, gotcha. I think like the big things for me is the simplicity of iOS just makes it easy to focus on a specific work. And when they introduced split screen, I want to say it was an iOS 11. I think it really made the experience a lot more enjoyable because I could have a web page on half the screen and then I could have my note taking app on the other side of the screen. Split screen is probably one of the best things to come to the iPad. And they've expanded upon that with a little dock bar that kind of mimics what the Mac does in iOS 12. So those to me are like what really makes the iPad a useful device. With with the laptop, just the temptation to constantly pull up and do some coding, which is less and less of my work right now, makes the laptop more of a distraction. And quite frankly, the iPad is just a lot quicker to get things going most of the time. So simplicity, portability, and then of course the other features that are inherent in any iOS device. And by that, I mean like the camera and the GPS, the motion detection, things like that on occasion, you might use mostly the camera. I think of the GPS is just really convenient in a lot of business cases. That to me is what makes the iPad for me a better device for some things that the laptop is more of a distraction. And notice it's not like a capability thing. It's not like, oh, the iPad does this one thing other than like the camera and the GPS that the laptop doesn't. And I think there's a lot of people who also like the iPad better because you can have it hooked up to a cell network. But to me, it's more of the simplicity of iOS makes it easier to focus on the work that I need to do. That pretty well explains the reasons why you would choose an iPad to use for your business. So on the flip side, do you want to talk about some of the uh, current limitations? Yeah, the problem with the iPad, I think for a lot of business applications, first of all, is kind of the fact that a lot of stuff in business and enterprise is still very Windows centered. And so uh, you'll see a lot of APIs and perhaps a lot of security things that the iPad is just incapable of hooking up with. If you work in an enterprise where they're using Citrix, for instance, there might be a way to hook up to a Citrix computer and do work on the iPad and kind of use your finger as a mouse cursor. It's awkward, but it is there. As far as the like hardware limitations, 
a lot of the kind of paradigms that people expect they already have on the laptop are missing on the iPad. Mm, like what? When the first iPhone came out, uh, one of the things uh, people talked about in UI and UX was the fact that you had to make buttons bigger on the phone because you need more room to be able to touch things. Because when it comes to using the mouse, for instance, it's a lot easier to be more precise. Yeah, and people have different finger sizes. Exactly. And other kinds of limitations. Now, we're seeing that limitation again brought up with the iPad because a lot of people want to see mouse support. And as somebody who uses a keyboard with my iPad Pro, it's weird and awkward to consistently change my hand position because I have to touch something on the screen. Me, I don't want mouse support. I can see a lot of people want that. What I'd prefer is just a lot better keyboard support so that way I can do a lot more stuff with hotkeys on my keyboard and just never have to lift my hand. One of the best things I can do right now is if I want to run an app, I just simply hit the command spacebar on the iPad and I can bring up whatever app I want. So that makes it a lot easier. And a lot of apps that use keyboard support and have keyboard hotkeys make it a lot more useful. That's kind of one of the big tricks is like people want mouse support because they don't want to have to change their hand position. And, you know, as somebody who uses a second generation iPad Pro, the one feature I could see, yeah, it's it's not worth the price to me, but I see is where Face ID should have been in the first place was the iPad because it's so weird to have to use touch ID on an iPad when you have to move your hand to touch the iPad every time you want to like put in a password or something like that. And I remember even just switching over to using a touchscreen phone and then the tablets that we use, there was also some awkwardness that I had to get over where my fingertip and my whole hand are blocking parts of the screen. Whereas you only get a very, very small area where a mouse is concealing information. And so I remember like, especially just figuring out how to dial a phone number. I mean, I know the orientation, but getting used to how far apart everything was and the, like not being able to see what my hand is covering up, but it took some getting used to. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. I mean, kudos to Apple for figuring that stuff out and not keeping us in the world of old school windows mobile. We're kind of back to that where the iPads feels awkward to do a lot of intense work because we constantly have to touch the device, especially when we're hooked up to a keyboard. So what other hardware limitations can you think of, Eric? Big one that I would worry about if I were to try and switch to an iPad would be uh, battery life. And definitely think of that as a, a software developer. It's, it's a really good point because I don't really think about that. I rarely run into battery life issues. In most places I go to, they have a plug so I can easily recharge it if I need to. And none of the work that I do on the iPad is very processor intensive. It's really interesting you bring up battery life because once you bring in video editing or music creation or any intense graphics work, yeah, that's where you're going to kill the battery. And that's a really good point. Uh, this isn't an apples to apples comparison, but I've tried doing video editing on my iPhone, which I have a 6S Plus, and it kills my battery really really fast yeah i agree though i I've noticed that on my iphone as well one thing i do like when i videotape myself i use filmic pro is to just make sure it's always plugged in and i'm doing any video recording like i, I don't want to even take that risk so yeah that's a really really good point yeah so another thing that i have to worry about with my laptop is connectors so i host events and will occasionally need to plug something in and i'm thinking like uh video connections but also uh once in a while like a document camera or some other kind of a usb device and 
right now I would be a little bit worried about having to carry along even more adapters to be able to plug all this stuff in. Yeah, I mean, we're just talking about the iPad, but I know that's an issue with the new generation of MacBook Pros ever since they switched to USB-C. And it's interesting that the new iPad switched over to USB-C as well, the new iPad Pro that came out in October. It seems like some stuff you can hook up and some stuff you can't. The biggest complaint I've heard about the new iPad Pro and the USB-C connection is it quite frankly doesn't have support for external storage. And to me, that is a big issue, especially when you're doing things like video editing or 3D stuff, anything that is going to be large files. Because if you're creating these large files, regardless if you have a one terabyte iPad Pro, you're going to have to transfer it to something else at some point. So what does that mean? Like you have to do airdrop or you have to use cloud. And if you have cloud, then A, going to take forever for you to upload that to the cloud and B, you're going to have to pay for all this storage, ridiculous amounts of storage. It, it just, it doesn't seem practical. Video is the biggest thing that I can think of. If you're doing a decent sized video, like who knows how much space that's going to take. It's going to be a few gigs or whatever. That's going to take forever. It just it seems like a big oversight and I would say I wouldn't be surprised if they add that support in iOS 13 this summer. But this this goes to the whole issue of file system support and the fact that the Files app is a good first step, but it's only a first step for really supporting file storage on the iPad. Just based on some of the stuff I've heard, people have a really difficult time dealing with being able to access different files for different purposes. I mean, let's just take a simple example of like adding an attachment. Like how do you get that attachment and add it in in mail is just such a arduous process for folks that I think it really hinders the use of the iPad as just a, a business device, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I know I struggle with key files as well, like password management and using key files to like SSH, like log into remote servers, trying to figure that kind of stuff out on my iPhone and iPad has been really painful. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll give them time. I don't think it's something that's going to happen overnight. But I think, yeah, the kind of the external drive, the whole file system thing, it's it's been a slow going transition to the drag and drop support. I think we're we're seeing the first steps in that. And like you said, we're at the very early stage of making the iPad a replacement in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. That goes into like software. And I think there's some software updates that we should see more of, I think, to make it a more professional device. Split screen is still not supported by more apps than it should. I'm happy to report like Google Docs is, Safari, all the built-in apps, of course, are. And a lot of app, like note-taking apps that I use support split screen. But the support still isn't there for a lot of older devices. We're still seeing a lot of apps that just haven't been even upgraded on the iPad. And it's almost like a lot of companies, if they're willing to make shortcuts in that instance, are almost willing to just do the lazy way of putting an iPhone app and then making it bigger on the iPad. And I don't mean just like scaling it up, which is what we've seen earlier on in the early days of the iPad, where you can just put an iPhone app on the iPad and then it scales it up, but it looks like a big iPhone app. Yeah, you get a giant keyboard. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean that. I just mean like you can build an app in Xcode, target it for iPad, and it does its best guess at making it somewhat responsive. But they don't customize the iPad app enough 
to take into account some other issues besides the very basic things that a responsive app should do. That's that's kind of an issue. And then the other thing is like some apps could really use uh, the ability to have multiple instances like side by side of two apps. For instance, like I use Bear, like I wish I could just have two sets of notes in front of me, which is something I can do on the Mac pretty easily. You can't do that on the iPad because sometimes I want to look at other notes. I don't want to have to just do constant context switching. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, which is just an issue with the iPad overall. Like even like with the share sheet stuff, it, it's an awkward user experience to have to take something and move it to another app or to add it as an attachment or something like that. I think that's something to really think about both for app developers, but for Apple as well. And then going back to the point about responsiveness, I, I think a lot of people complain that websites still load as if they're on an iPhone, even though they're on an iPad. In other words, whether it's that's a CSS issue or a JavaScript issue or Apple issue, websites still look like iPhone websites when they should be looking more like desktop websites, the the size of these iPads and the resolution that these iPads have now. And that seems like an issue as well. Yeah, those are some great points. And so what other kind of limitations? The biggest one is the incentives for developers to make good iPad apps just aren't there as well as they are iPhone because the market is smaller, but also iPhone apps just either tend to be funded like VC funded essentially so they can make it for free, make a really professional app for free without you know making any money. They throw a bunch of ads at it. And just for a lot of like business prosumer apps, professional apps, there that's not going to be a great incentive to kind of build a more robust business application. And I think it's improving. We're seeing kind of like the subscription model is improve, being improved upon every so often. So I think that it's kind of not necessarily one thing that's really limiting the iPad, but more of several different issues that have kind of culminated in slowing down or keeping the inertia of the iPad where it is. Do you think that app developers maybe are reluctant to make business grade apps because on a laptop or a PC, they tend to run potentially hundreds of dollars, whereas most people have an expectation that things are going to be relatively inexpensive, like a few bucks on an iPad or iPhone? Yes, I think that's a big part of it. And I just think inertia... It's like, why build a, a app for an iPad if the audience isn't there? And why would any company switch to iPads if the apps aren't there? And it's almost like this chicken and egg situation. We haven't gotten to the point of iPads really taking off. It isn't like a situation of netbooks, for instance, that kind of like had their phase and then went away. I think it's just a matter of that Apple has not incentivized the developer community to build very professional, robust apps on the iPad, even though there are some really great apps. And if you're a developer of these apps, please message me on Twitter at break digit. But it seems like there's a real challenge both to get big businesses to move to iPads because the apps aren't there, but also to get the developers to build the iPads. And like I said, chicken and egg. And then of course, a lot of these software limitations, they're trying to keep the iPad secure and sandbox and not falling into the traps that desktop operating systems run into, but also at the same time, allowing more and more interconnectivity in files that are necessary almost for professional business grade apps. Do you know if Apple has any way to do like group licensing? And by that, I mean, I've seen situations where you can buy a piece of software for a whole team or an organization 
And so you can have like 10 to 20 users using that app and you get discounted pricing by buying in quantity. But I haven't heard of anything like that existing for like an iPad. Is that another limitation or is it just something I haven't heard of? There's a couple of things. They have a volume licensing for education, but I don't think they have anything for like enterprise to where you can just buy a bunch of apps. Like, I mean, I guess you could put all the devices on one ID and then just purchase it through that one ID, which would seem a little bit strange. But I don't think they have something like group licensing. The closest I can find is something on educational licensing. And then the other thing is, which we'll talk about later, is the enterprise licensing for internal apps. But that doesn't sound like what you're talking about. You're talking about like basically you have a large company and it wants to use this one professional app. Uh, and they want to bunch, buy a bunch of licenses, right? Right. Like, I think I've heard of it called seat licensing. So you buy a product and then you pay X dollars per seat. You get a group of keys and then you can unlock the product on however many devices. And then if you have some kind of attrition or like need to upgrade or anything like that, that's all incorporated into the single licensing plan instead of having like 20, 30, 50, 200 separately purchased versions of the software. No, they don't. And that's kind of one of the big problems, I think, as well. And I'm glad you pointed that out. As far as I know, there is no kind of seat licensing kind of thing when it comes to iOS, which I think is also kind of limiting because if you don't have that, then what are you doing? That's a really good question. I'm glad you brought it up. So that brings up a really good point, which are... Like, what are the ways to sell and deliver business applications? Because I think that is part of the limitation of the iPad is the fact that we're kind of limited on how to sell stuff, robust applications on the iPad. Now, we've seen Microsoft and Adobe kind of jump into this, but they're almost like kind of circumventing the App Store in a lot of ways to do it. You can sign up like with Creative Cloud and then get access to the app. Sounds like they're getting creative because they have some heavy constraints on them. Yeah. So you can do in-app purchases for like Microsoft apps, like Microsoft Word or Outlook or whatever. So there is a way to do that. And that's kind of the easiest way, I would say, is to just do an in-app purchase. So let's let's go over these. The first way you can make money is just by selling an app at a flat price. The challenge with that is that they, like you said, the expectations are pretty low as far as what the price of an app should be. The expectation is to have an app for free. So that kind of has fallen by the wayside and we see more and more subscriptions. Apple has kind of improved the subscription model over time. Obviously, Apple does get their cut through the App Store, but with subscriptions, you can do everything from like daily, I believe, to like monthly, weekly, whatever variation you want. You can charge the user for a subscription to use the app and you can manage the subscriptions yourself. You can let Apple manage the subscriptions either way. So that has kind of been a more successful model for making money on an app. And then, of course, there's the idea of just doing like an in-app purchase to where you get the app for free and then to do anything more robust, you pay for an in-app purchase, which essentially is adding professional features to the app. Last and least would be ads, which you just have a free app, but then you have ads everywhere. It's really difficult to make money, but it is a way to do it. And then, of course, you could always have an in-app purchase to get rid of the ads if need be. So those are some of the ways you can sell a piece of software on the App Store right now. And I think I see a lot more subscriptions or maybe free with like an in-app purchase for more robust features. That's mostly the limitation of the App Store and how you can sell apps on the App Store. The other thing I wanted to mention before we close was 
the use of like enterprise licenses, which have been in the news for bad reasons. <laughs> so Facebook uh, and Google, but mostly Facebook has been in the news a couple of weeks ago about using enterprise licensing to essentially allow people to download a VPN app to give Facebook access to their network activity. So let me break that, that down a little bit. So an enterprise license is essentially a way to make an app available outside of the app store for internal use at a company. So let's say you work at a big like 5,000 people company and you just want an app for your employee directory for the iPhone. So you make that app only available to employees at your company. They have access to that app. And it, obviously it's not an app you want available on the app store, but there is a way to distribute that app internally using that means. What Facebook did was they kind of abused that system to make an app that should never be in the app store available to the public under the guise of security and privacy to make an app available that gives Facebook access to people's network data. I'll post a link in the notes to the recode story on it. Why would someone even use an app like that? So the app was called Anovio, O-N-A-V-O, and it's a virtual private networking app. They stated that all the data will be going through Facebook's servers, and they did say that it would be used for market research. However, the selling point would be that it helped monitor how much data they're using. And also, supposedly, it would tell them if their internet connection was not secure. But, of course, mostly this was used for getting people's, what they're doing, what their activity is for market, marketing purposes. If that Does that answer your question? Yeah, so if I'm a Facebook user, then I might download this app to believing that it was to make sure that the things that I'm looking at, I'm viewing over like secure channels, when in actuality, Facebook is using the ways that I use my phone and the content that I'm looking at to provide more relevant ads to me. Well, I, I don't think they're going to do the ads. I think it's mostly for the research for, for doing you mm, know, for okay. software development purposes. So, like, I don't think they're going to, like, specifically target you, Eric, based on the behavior you're doing. I think it's much more aggregated data. I wouldn't go that far, but it still is finding out what you're doing in order to, to better develop, I guess, their system, so to speak. Yeah, a little bit creepy. Yeah, totally creepy. So, yeah, Apple pretty much took away their enterprise license because of breaking that rule. They did end up getting it back a few days later. But that also meant that a lot of Facebook's internal employee apps were unavailable, like such as ordering food off of the cafeteria and maybe like their employee directory and et cetera. That's not what an enterprise license is for. And I think it's something I am interested in more as a means of developing apps for big businesses internally. But I think what Facebook did and what, what Google, I think, kind of did as well was they kind of abused the app for for their own marketing research purposes. It's an interesting means of maybe developing internal professional apps, but it's not meant to be used for like public apps. Any questions, any thoughts, Eric, based on our discussion today? It sounds like there are certain situations where it might be really useful to use an iPad for your business, but it sounds like there's still lots and lots of room to grow. Apple is definitely trying to push iPads as laptop replacements in the sense that iPads, the standard iPad has remained fairly cheap 
in comparative to a cheaper laptop. So if you're a business on a budget, you may be looking at iPads as perhaps a decent use case. But I think that there's still some issues with the file support and the split screen and multiple instances and context switching that make it a little bit difficult. This, of course, isn't helped by the fact that it's become harder for developers to make money off the App Store and that the app store model has more incentivized folks who do either big apps that don't make direct money off the app store or apps that are dependent on in-app purchases. And in some cases, uh, this has resulted in like kind of the plethora of addictive games that we've seen on iOS. If you do find a business though, that might be interested in an app, you might want to look at perhaps enterprise licensing and just developing an app for a company internally. And that might be a good means of developing good apps for businesses. And then perhaps as long as you do not make the same mistake Facebook did when it comes to their VPN app. If you're listening to this podcast, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send me a message. Send me a tweet at Bright Digit in case you've had different experience or perhaps uh, you know some great iPad apps that really showcase how the iPad could be used for business and professional situations. And you will hear from us again soon. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it.